Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this Meet the Expert episode, Editor-in-Chief Teresa Moulton interviews Samir Hasija, Dean of Executive Education and Professor at INSED, and author of The Phoenix Encounter Method, Lead Like Your Business is on Fire. Samir reveals how businesses who have been burned by COVID-19 and other unexpected disruptions can rebuild their companies and rise from the ashes. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast. This is Teresa Moulton, and I am very excited to have Samir Hazja with us, who is um, the Dean of Executive Education at the INSEAD uh, School of Business. Uh, let me let me uh, tell you a little bit about Samir and introduce you to him. We're going to be talking about his um, new body of work uh, called the Phoenix Encounter Method. And um, let me let me introduce him first. So Samir Hazija is an Associate Professor of Technology and Operations Management at INSEAD. He earned his PhD in Operations Management and an MS in Management Science Methods from the Simon School of Business at the University of Rochester and his BT, BTech from the Indian Institute of Technology, Madras. Samir's teaching focuses on using pro, a process lens to understand new levers of information using a systematic analysis of processes within and across firm boundaries. He emphasizes the role of process-based innovation in creating new business models and or fresh competitive positioning for existing business models. Samir conducts workshops for executives on understanding the latest developments in technology technology and their role in radically disrupting and or transforming businesses. Samir's current research uses an economic lens to understand the design and management of technology, knowledge, and information intensive service systems. So we are going to welcome Samir and have him um, give us some information about his new book, The Phoenix Encounter Method, Lead Like Your Business is on Fire, and that book is coming out in October of 2020. Uh, some of the aspects of the encounter method um, will help companies and their leaders consider destroying all or part of their business model in order to rebuild this breakthrough and future ready, uh, adopt a new type of leadership attitude to seek out fire, embrace it, and blaze their own unique path to renewal, orchestrate radical strategic debate with, the, with their team about how to reshape their strategy agenda and business model, and turn firestorm disruption to their advantage by becoming their own best enemy and walk through the fire. So this is a whole new um, method for um, ideation and creation. And um, without further ado, I would like to welcome Samir. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Oh, you're welcome. Uh, I'm excited about your book and the concepts that you have within it. Um, you know, it was it's it's amazing to see um, the way that you're combining, you know, conversations with the radical thinking and all of that together to get the breakthrough. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, happy to hear that. Yeah. So what I thought I might do is. Um, just we'll just have a a converse a casual conversation and um and really just kind of pull out some of the key aspects of your thinking that um 
and your practice really. I mean, it was impressive that you've actually run this by quite a few people <laughs> over there and said, so um, it'd be good to, it'd be good to um, educate the change management population on this because um, they often, as you know, are working with the senior executives and the teams to actually um, kind of pick up from where some of this, this um, radical thinking goes and then they, they implement it. Sure. Absolutely. Happy to, to, to have this conversation. I, uh, I'm never scripted, so I'm very happy to have a casual conversation because that's the best way to do this. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So, um, Anyway, why don't you why don't you just tell us a little bit about how the pro, how the project for the book started and where the idea how the idea came together? Uh, well, it, it's an interesting story, Teresa. Um, my co-author on the book, Ian Woodward, and and he's the director of the advanced management program at the school that I work at. It's called INSEAD. It's a it's a business school. Mm. Uh, you know, which has campuses in, in France, Singapore, and Abu Dhabi, and now even in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, as the director of one of our senior most executive education programs, he posed a question to me and our other co-author, Paddy, while sitting casually uh, outside, uh, outside in, in, the, in the residence courtyard at, on campus. And he said, you know, Samir, Paddy, you guys are into technology. You guys are into business model innovation. Mm-hmm. How do you have a conversation about technology and business models with senior executives? Because a lot of this is facts, right? Like technology is factual. Mm-hmm. You know, you either know it or you don't. But when we when we talk about things with business executives, especially the senior ones, we need mm-hmm. to discuss things at a conceptual level. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you bring a conversation which is so factual into a classroom where we can have a discussion around conceptual thinking? Mm-hmm. And that's when this entire thing started. And I said, you know what? Technology for the sake of technology or business models for the sake of business model, it's not much. It's it's just a race to the bottom, right? Everybody can implement automation to lower their costs. Mm -hmm. That's not exciting. What is really exciting is can technology allow you to, to not just play the game better, which like I said, everybody can do. Can it allow you to change the game completely? Mm. And, and can it allow you to change a game in a way that you completely disrupt the equilibrium, the, the status quo that exists in the ecosystem in which you operate? Mm-hmm. Now, that is an interesting conversation to have because that is where businesses become game changers and not just incrementally better. And so we came up with this idea that if we have to think about disruption and the future, and, and the role that technology and business models and, and, and many other things, it's not just technology. It started off as something about technology, but it's, it's much more than that. Mm-hmm. If we have to think about the future and how these things can change the course of business at a conceptual level, then we have to imagine how somebody out there can use these very levers or these very uh, tools to completely destroy or disrupt the status quo in any ecosystem that currently exists. Mm-hmm. And until and unless we imagine that, we will never know what is the best way that we can use these levers to, to reinvent ourselves. So that very extreme thinking allows for a conceptual debate that otherwise would not happen because then you know we'd end up having the regular debate. How can I use technology to lower my cost? That's mm-hmm. a regular debate. 
uh-huh. but if we need to if we need to think about game changers then we need to think about something very radical and that's how it really started it started from a need a requirement to bring this these kind of discussions into an into a senior executive uh, a classroom environment mm. and once we started doing it we found the traction we found how important this conversation was for these senior leaders for these senior executives and the demand for can you please give us more of what you're talking about Excellent. started rising so much that we realized that it was time to write a book so that's sorry long story but but i i just wanted to to it's to show context. you how it kind of it kind of developed organically yeah it's great context because um, as I know you're familiar with uh, things like re-engineering and the greenfield analysis and then coming into the blue ocean strategy stuff, you know, what really makes the Phoenix encounter method uh, different from those initial innovation, innovative thinking approaches? The, the, the biggest difference that I would say is the unhinged thinking, the, 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 the the completely panoramic view of the world mm-hmm. and, and to go above and beyond analyzing how good is a strategy that you came up with. So Teresa, let's say you and I are working together and you say, I have an idea. Mm-hmm. I'll say, oh, oh, okay, it's a great idea, Teresa. Why don't you, why don't we dig deeper? And many of the frameworks that you mentioned are about digging deeper into an idea. Right. The Phoenix encounter method says, hold on, we will dig deeper and we will use these frameworks to dig deeper, but at a later stage. First, let us step back and say, what are all the ideas that are possible? Have we really exhausted the, the plethora of ideas that are possible? And have we, have we created a, an optionality set that goes beyond what our day-to-day thinking is? Mm. And and once we've done that, we would have a much better ability to start understanding, you know, perhaps here are the three ideas that we never thought about. And maybe we want to dig a little bit deeper here. And that's when I'll start using all the other frameworks that you're talking about, right? So this is about a precursor to the idea generation process. And Trisa, just to kind of get a little bit more here, sorry. No. Uh, the reason this is important is because whether we like it or not, we are all victims of our own experience. Mm-hmm. You see, experience is a great way to learn, but it's also a way that kind of puts blinkers on us. Right. And so the method is supposed to break the blinkers without compromising on the learnings that you have from your experience. And that's what it's all about. It's about- Oh, wow. What a dance right? that is. Right. It is a dance. And, but we need to do this, right? Otherwise, you will never end up going completely radical. We could still go radical, but but perhaps not systematically. This is a way to systematically get us to think radically. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so even with things like strategic scenario planning, this is on the front end of that, because in this case, strategic scenario planning would be a way to winnow down two scenarios and you're still in the ideation phase ahead of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So, so we are complementary to any of these frameworks because we would be, like I said, you, like you said, we would be the precursor to any one of those analyses. That's great. So how do you how do you get it to work? How do you get the executives in the room to actually ideate and get out of the uh, tactical conversations? I mean, and and you know, not only is this important. First of all, it's difficult, mm-hmm. right? 
but it is important not only to get them to think outside of the 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 traditional frame but it also since we are talking about change management here it's also very useful because this really helps in building the burning platform which then yeah. becomes an a self fulfilling prophecy in in terms of motivating people to do something about it now how do you get them to do this is 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 role play you 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 ask them to to let go of their organizations and represent their organizations and say you know what can we for now imagine that we belong to a completely different organization and let's call it newco for a lack mm-hmm. of better word mm-hmm. and and newco's aim is in an unconstrained environment where no constraints on resources or technology or regulatory uh, uh, kind of uh, capital what can newco do to leverage all the the firepower that is available uh, to it to completely destroy your existing business mm. can you imagine that and can mm. you can you imagine that by putting down a, a a systematic business model a business plan down what is interesting to me is that since these are seasoned experts these are seasoned executives who have been insiders for a long time it doesn't take them too long to come up with a business plan that would destroy their current company right which is a rude it's a, it's and it's a rude awakening as you can imagine because very soon they realize how vulnerable they are and they simply weren't thinking about it many executives have come back to us and said you know what we are in business not because we can successfully defend our position it is because many people who can completely destroy us are simply not interested in us ah are not interested in this business and you know if if the googles and the amazons of the world tomorrow decide that they want to enter our industry they would completely destroy us uh-huh and we are in business simply because they're not there yet or they're not interested to play here right and that's not a good position to be in right and and so once they imagine this destruction magic takes place because what happens then is we we then ask them to say let's flip your role back to your organization and now can you figure out a way how to leverage all these tools technology business models you know demographics social social changes mm-hmm. how can you leverage all of this and now defend yourself against this unhinged attack that you just created mm. that's where the magic takes place because that is what starts creating ideas in their heads about what can they do about the future of their organization which is not just incremental and we've seen we've seen ideas which are radical which are interesting which are worth experimenting which were something people had previously not even thought about mm-hmm. come about and and you know luckily for us being being in an environment where we deal with multiple executives from all sorts of geographies and companies all mm-hmm. over the world we we get to see how they've then gone ahead and used these ideas and attempted to reinvent their businesses in many cases successfully and we've written many of those stories in the book as you must have seen so mm-hmm. of course they're all anonymized but many right. of the stories in the book are are original first hand experiences of senior executives who've gone through this exercise with us and how they used it to then change the course of their business yeah that's really neat i was um also interested in the process around these these radical debates um that that you have in the in the classroom or with with the folks and how those were structured and kind of what some of the aha moments might be uh coming out of them the 
the biggest aha i'll tell you you know and i've done this if we've done this a few times you know many times you know we'll get ex- we'll have executives from just one company right come to us and and they're all they all belong to the same company mm-hmm. and they're sitting in front of me and i'll tell them i'll say you know first thing in the morning when i meet them i, I you know i say hey you're all senior executives can you write down your first what what do you think are your top 3 to 6 priorities that your business should focus on going forward and mm-hmm. everybody will write something down and and what's interesting is many times even though there are 40 people in front of me the the top 3 to 6 priorities are pretty standard they're quite convergent because they've all had their strategy days they've all had their you know board meetings they've all mm-hmm. had their uh, exco uh, expo meetings and there there you know there's some divergence but by and large the list overlaps a lot mm. now what i do is i tell them to fold these priorities uh in uh, write them down on a piece of paper fold it and keep it away mm. the rest of the day we do the phoenix encounter method and we go through the destruction we go through the debate we go through the ideation we disagree and we say you know can that destroy your company can this and you know how are you going to defend against it and we go through the entire method that we've outlined in the book Mhm. At the end of the workshop, which can take anything between a day to two days or three days sometimes depending on how much time we have. Mm. Once we are done with all of this, I ask the executives that without taking a peek into what you had written down on on the first morning when we met, what should really be your top 3 to 6 priorities? Can you write it down? And they write it down. And Teresa, this shouldn't surprise you, but it's always such a great moment. those priorities that are written down at the end of the workshop look nothing yeah nothing than what was written down uh, at the outset and each one of them invariably has come up and 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 personally told us that you know i have no idea what i was thinking when i wrote these first set of priorities down i i don't know i think it was a different person who wrote it down it couldn't be me because <laughs> clear because clearly our priorities should be something completely different but right. what i had written down that day was 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 not priority it was just at best some tactical level things that we could do in the next couple of uh, months uh, but that would that is not what we would call as strategic priorities that's been our biggest aha moment the the yeah. radical difference in the thinking that we get from the beginning to the end of the workshop that's that's great i mean i think a lot of executives are so ingratiated in um the mindset and the culture of where they work that they're you know they're really kind of thinking in terms of the internal and they kind of know the information around the external but they're not sitting down and integrating that from a blank sheet of paper um and especially I, I not that's... relative to blowing up their own business i think that's that's you know crazy i love it, it, it... Uh, it, it is and and you're absolutely right i mean each one of them with i mean they're all smart people with a right. lot of experience right it's not about how clever one is it's just that one just never had the time to sit down and do this kind of radical exercise and hence their internal creativity never came out their their internal thoughts never came out so our our method is not going to make somebody clever our method is just some is simply a way to to bring it out to to bring out all that tacit knowledge that sits in seasoned executives and to bring it out in a way that they can make some actionable uh strategies out of it yeah that's neat have you seen differences um uh, across cultures in how uh the ideas shift or the process is uh similar or different 
yes, there, there are always differences in cultures in terms of, you know, certain cultures are more overt and forthcoming with the idea of destroying their company and then rebuilding it. And certain cultures are more conservative. Right. Uh, however, you know, we are also lucky to be at a business school, which is a global business school, right? I mean, yes. India is, it's a great you know, school, right? We don't have any, uh, any local, I mean, of course we have local roots, but we also have global roots and we're very proud of our global roots. Mm-hmm. What that does is it allows us to observe how different cultures may work. So it's not like cultures have different outcomes. It's just that they need different types of nudges. Ah. Uh, to 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 facilitate this conversation so some cultures need more time for self reflection to to think about things to perhaps write it down before they articulate it mm-hmm. and some cultures just start articulating it on the fly they are okay to think as they speak right mm-hmm. uh, and and these are these are just small little changes and nudges that you make as you go along mm-hmm. uh, to be able to adjust for different um, preferences that people have uh, owed to their their personalities and their cultures, but at the end, the outcome that we get is is quite surprisingly very similar. So, so I, I think people are people, and and knowledge is knowledge. Mm-hmm. How to extract it may have certain um, changes in it, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's extractable, and that's what we're doing. We're really just nudging people to extract all this gem of knowledge that's sitting inside them, but they just needed some stimulus to to bring it out. Right, right. Very, very interesting. Um, what I what I really liked about the method was, um, you know, with some of these other innovation techniques w- that you were talking about, go into the project or into the into the idea. Um, it's all focused and there's constraints kind of set up around it even though the brainstorming is like it's like teed up in the middle of the process it's not um it's not at the beginning and giving people the permission to just annihilate you know what they're doing now which emotionally is freeing even though it's scary you know i mean they must feel great like oh my gosh i'm finally getting to you know think about some of those ideas that i've been you know pondering here and there and um and having a, a venue to try them out on, on people. So um, that's great. I still think, um, you know, after going through this whole process, the debating piece is where is, it sounds like a real differentiator as well, because some of those other ideation modes don't go into the debate. They stop at the brainstorm. And, and then, so once you have the brainstorm, you know, okay, that's great. How do you consolidate these ideas into maybe into scenarios or into, you know, different groups of ideas? Whereas here you take them and you're like, okay, let's, let's defend them. You know, let's really get, let's really get to the essence of what you're saying. Um, And that's powerful. It it, it is. And, 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 you know, again, as as you deal a lot with change management and that's kind of your center focus it's very important because you know ultimately change can only take place if if ultimately there is a a a complete un um you know unwavering belief belief in something right and so you need to have this debate to have that epiphany that this is it that we got to do this and if you don't have that debate it will never be that that, I mean, you said this a, a little while ago, this aha moment, 
Mm-hmm. Should you not have this aha moment, you're never going to buy into this. Right. And you know, you can have, you can have a workshop with ideation and, and it's great. But when you go back to office on Monday morning, it's business as usual. Right. But if you go through this debate and then, and, and, and really get down to the nitty gritty and really think this through that epiphany, that aha moment, cannot you simply cannot go back to office on monday morning and go back to business as usual you mm-hmm. you can't you it is it gets so deep into your into your thinking that you're you're actually aching to go to office and 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 now trying to get things changed in right. a way that makes sense so the change management part actually becomes it, it kind of becomes like i said earlier it 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 becomes like a self fulfilling prophecy now rather than you have to go through this entire people management issue. I mean, it's one thing for the leaders to do it. I mean, the, I, I, when, you know, senior executives do this with us and they tell us, hey, I am now completely on board, but how do I get everybody else on board? Right. I tell them, go back and do the Phoenix encounter with them. Don't, don't tell anybody in your organization what your vision is. Let that vision emerge from another encounter. Go back and run it. Run it in your entire organization, all the way from, you know, the the... The, the foot soldiers all the way to the board, mm-hmm. you know, let the entire organization go through this encounter. Let those aha moments occur organically. And you will not need change management the way we think about change management. That's you will have right. people. In fact, you'll have the opposite problem. People will be frustrated if you're not doing anything about it. <laughs> I think you're right. Right. So, right? so it, it's, it's the exact opposite problem. And, and that's a good problem to have, by the way. Right. It's a good problem to have. Assuming that the intent, uh, the intent is, is clarified in a somewhat similar direction. Uh, yes, yes, of course. It ha- and which is why the process is important. The structure is important. By the way, we not only have this book, Teresa, what we've done is we've also created some collateral and we'll be releasing a manual, ah. which will actually go into the nitty gritty of the process where we'll actually give away collateral material of, you know, in our one, do this, in our two, do this. And, you know, oh, here wow. are some, the whole here. design, you know, the whole design, because the thing is that the book obviously discusses it at a conceptual level and, and kind of gets the readers familiar with what's the idea, why does it work? How does it work? But then when it comes to executing, you need a little bit more, right? You need collateral around running right. this workshop, right? You, you can't just run it. I mean, perhaps you can, but but, you know, since we've had the luxury of being able to experiment with this and, and refine it over the last, you know, four years almost now. Right. Uh, we want to we give that away because, you know, our readers and, and, and executives out there in the world can benefit from what we've learned over four years. So we'll be creating this, this kind of manual out there, which will be available to, to all the readers to actually be able to then execute this on their own within their organizations. That's really cool. Is that going to be commercially available? Or is yes, that... it, uh, it, it will be, we, we're actually just going to put it up online and, and, you know, we'll have it done properly, but it's, it's going to be available, uh, uh, you know, almost parallelly with the book. And, and the whole idea is it's, it's going to become like a, like a playbook. It's like your guide playbook. Once you, once you've read the book, you've understood the method, you've internalized it, you get the philosophy then that will be your execution playbook uh, to actually then go ahead and implement it. So, oh, so, that's, so that, that, that's in the works and we, you know, we'll just put it up on the website and we'll make it available. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I like the radical part of it. And I think, I think that if companies do use it, they will, they'll come up with different examples and we'll see another like 
round of innovation in terms of um, trends, you know, uh, of different business models and things that maybe people didn't think about? Uh, that would be the the benchmark of what I would consider as a success, right? So, yeah. so uh, you know, typical academic, for, for us, the measure of success is if this actually goes and starts making a difference in, in, in the world where people actually start thinking about the Phoenix method and using that as a way to think about what is the, the 2.0 version of, of their organizations, what is the 2.0 version of themselves as they think about their organizations because you can't separate the two either, right? Right. And, you know, uh, to be honest, we, we, we did this four years ago. We had no idea about COVID and, you know, and the pandemic uh, and how that's right. going to change the world. But uh, the one thing that I can say is that you know, whether you, we, we had no idea that how important this method would be, but this method is more important today than it was when we first started talking about it. Uh-huh. Right. Because the, the need to change and redo, rethink things is more pertinent today than it ever perhaps was. It's almost mandatory. It's almost mandatory. Yeah. It's almost mandatory. So I'm curious, uh, how in this approach do you uh, acknowledge the different trends that are going on externally in the business environment or the global environment at large? Um, if they're blowing up their business model and they're going into, you know, put principles down on what it could be, um, you know, the traditional way of thinking is to bring in regulatory, you know, economic, all those, I mean, 45, 50 year uh, equations in. So how do you do it in your, in your work without limiting the thinking? The, 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 one of the most important concepts we discuss in the book and, and we spent a lot of time doing it is the idea of scanning. Oh, that's and, right. And we, right. And we really emphasize why, why executives, first of all, you know, there's a lot of research that we've cited there that shows that people don't scan enough. And so it's very well documented and empirically yep. studied, not, not by us, by others, right? But, you know, we, 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 we've read that research and, and we find it, it's an our anecdotal observation of dealing with executives is that, yes, scanning is limited. And often it is limited to either geography or industry or both, which is really, really narrow. Mm -hmm. And so people need to scan and they need to scan frequently and they need to scan widely. It is really, really important because you're right. I mean, that's the way you start challenging uh, yourself completely differently. And when I say scanning widely, I mean, you could be a, a running a, a, one of the biggest banks in the world. And I would still ask you to try and figure out what is happening in the world of 3D printing. Now, what does 3D printing have to do with the banking service? I said, it doesn't matter at least you should know what 3D printing is, what it does, what people are using it for, how advanced it is, and how it may change the world of supply chain and manufacturing for the, for the foreseeable future. And then how it impacts you, I don't know. We'll figure that out when we design your attack and, and, and defense, and maybe we won't, but you gotta scan and you gotta scan consistently, you gotta scan constantly. And so we really emphasize the need of scanning. And, and, and Paddy, one of our, uh, you know, one of the co-authors in the book, he, he illustrates a very nice story. Uh, you know, it's, it's not a story that is easy to remember. It's somewhere in the middle of the book, but it's very, very important where he talks about, you know, when he's on a family vacation mm -hmm. in, in a small village in India and he sees this fisherman uh, using these Nokia phones, which had these GPS locators, right? Mm -hmm. And how those, and, and again, it's, it's a nice story. It's worth reading about it. Yes. 
you know, it's a story about how a product is used by a market segment that, you know, we don't know what was going on in Nokia's boardrooms, but I'm willing to bet that that was not a market segment that they were <laughs> ever contemplating. And how that market segment was using their product, how they were driving value out of that product, how that product improved their productivity, improved the revenue that they would get out of their, uh, the, the catch that they would get, et cetera, et cetera. The point about scanning is you learn things even if they are in a, in a market that you'd consider as a non-market for you, mm-hmm. in a geography that you consider is not important for you, in a, in a, in a, in a technology sector that you consider not important to you. Mm-hmm. You need to scan because you, that is the only time you would be able to imagine what can come and hit you uh, when, when you expected the least. Right. I mean, think about the automotive industry, right? the biggest innovations that are happening today in the automotive sector are not by auto companies. They're happening by all the other companies, you know, the Facebooks of the world, the Baidu's, which is the, you know, uh, the Google version of, uh, of search engine in China. Google itself is, I mean, these companies are trying to innovate in the auto industry. And of course the auto industry is also trying, but you know, nobody would have predicted that, you know, Facebook or Google would have something to do with cars. Right. Right. And they do a lot. So you got to scan and you got to scan wide and you got to scan uh, continuously. And that's really, really important. And that's one of the, the major parts of this book. And, and we really highlight, highlight that and what people can do and how can they do it. Yes. Yes. Great. And so, uh, Samir, what are some of the key lessons that you would want people to take away from this discussion uh, relative to your work? The, you know, the, 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 the first key lesson that I really would like to emphasize to everybody is that if you have to think about the future, you've got to, to realize that you don't know what you don't know. And I, sorry, it sounds a very, uh, no, it's very uh, true. kind of pro, pro, profound statement, but, but it is true. And, but at the end of the day, you know, the, the future is going to be in the hands of those who try and imagine a world which is very, very different than what exists today. Mm-hmm. And there is never going to be a silver bullet. Our method is not going to guarantee success for you in the future. It cannot. Mm-hmm. And let's be realistic about it. But this method gives you a fighting chance. It mm-hmm. gives you a chance to try and figure out what could be all the ways that the future could change And how could the future change in a way that could make my very existence being challenged? Mm -hmm. And as you start imagining that is your, it creates your best chance to then figure out how do you need to reinvent yourself and your organization so that you can fight such existential crisis that the future may present to you. Mm -hmm. And, And this is very, very important because short of doing this, we will be in the trap of incremental thinking. We will always think about how can I get that 10% growth or 2% reduction in cost and, you know, reduce my risk a little bit. And none of them are bad, but they invariably become the recipe of eventual uh, oblivion of organizations because they're not, they're not good enough to fight radical disruption that they may face in the future, which may come from competitors that are currently not even in the horizon of, of right. what these companies are thinking. So, so my first message is, uh, you know, be bold and challenge status quo and imagine the worst before you try and imagine what should be your future. That's mm-hmm. number one. 
the number two message that I'll, I, I really want to give everybody is what we just discussed is if you are going to do what we just discussed, which is imagine the worst, then you got to go wide and scan wide. You know, if you're going to do the Phoenix encounter method and you know, you're an accounting firm and you now imagine a destruction from one of the other big fours. Okay, fine. That's pretty, that's fine, but that's really not the, the philosophy here. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if you're an accounting firm, you're one of the big fours, you should imagine a destruction that goes above and beyond your current competition mm-hmm. that goes above and beyond what traditional players can do to you to take away your customers. You know, I- imagine a world in which an AI algorithm can, can do all the auditing and taxation uh, in an automated fashion in a government portal mm-hmm. and, and, and your need is diminished, you know. I live in Singapore. You know how I do my taxes, Teresa? It's really fascinating. I don't. I get, an, I get an SMS from the government that says your taxes are done. Now, I can go online and check it to verify if everything is fine. But essentially, my taxes are just done. I, I don't do taxes. They're just done. Right? Wow. There's a system in the back that does my taxes. And I just go and check to make sure everything is okay. Right? So, so these things will change. And, they, they, you know, yes, Singapore is a smaller country with... with, with perhaps simpler structure right now so they can do this. But, you know, it's only a matter of time before this moves, uh, this moves sure. to Western countries, you know. So, so you gotta, you got to go. So, so number two, go, go beyond your traditional. And number three, which I always tell people, uh, do not get caught by personal preferences. Mm. You, know, you know, I've had, you know, executives from the automotive industry and I was talking about autonomous cars and they said, Samir, yeah, that's fine. It's great. But I still like to, I still like to hold the steering of my car when I drive and I, I, I want to drive. And I'm like, I know you want to drive, but I hope you understand that you perhaps sell your cars to more people than just yourself. And so, so don't let your personal preferences mm-hmm. be a way for you to extrapolate what other people would like. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, so, and we're all, again, you know, we can be very guilty of that. We can say, Hey, you know, 10 years ago, somebody, you know, talking about Airbnb would have said, hey, who's going to give their apartment out to, to rent to strangers right. for a couple of days, right? Like, right. That's, that doesn't sound right. Sure, 10 years ago, that statement could have been made. But, you know, we, you, know you and I know that's, that's a very different world today. Yes. So, you know, so let go of your own uh, biases and the encounter can help you with all the three. The, the, the method that, I've, that we've devised actually systematically addresses these top three things. But these would be the top three things that I would say, you know, uh, I feel this will really, really give you a fighting chance to, to make sure that you don't go down uh, and, 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 and go into oblivion. Yes, I think so too. It's very, it's really, really neat. I, I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time and uh, for staying up so late in Singapore to have this conversation with me. I'm really excited about it. And no, Teresa, it's a pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me. Yes. And if people want to find your book, it came out in June, right? Is that right? No, it's actually, no, it's not out yet. It, okay. it's, available on, uh, it's available on all the platforms, Amazon and okay. know, Barnes and Nobles uh, for pre-orders. It's okay. not out yet. It'll be out in October. October. Uh, that's okay. Right. So, that's great. Uh, so it's called the, the Phoenix encounter method. And, you know, you can go on the website, register if you're, if you're interested right now, the Phoenix encounter method.com. Okay. Uh, that's what we've kept it. 
uh, but you know it's available for pre-orders on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and you know the 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 you know uh, any of the 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 book platforms that people use. That's great. So we'll get this out right away, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, we'll have some impact on your on your sales. <laughs> uh, thanks a lot, Teresa. And you know we're very grateful for that. And what we are really interested in, and and let me just leave this for your viewers sure. is not only for them to read the book, but what we're really, really interested in is after they've read the book and they've done something with it. Yes. And if they can share those stories with us, we would love it. And, oh, and you know, okay. and, and we'd love to hear back from people. It's very, it's very easy to contact us. You know, I have, I have my own website with my entire contact details there, samirhasija.com. And okay. you, you can go there and you can get information about me and how to reach out to me. My co-authors have their websites as well. So it's not, it's not difficult to find, you know, in today's day, right. it's not difficult to find people. But I would just, we would love to hear back because we would love to hear the stories, the new stories. Uh, yes. the, and and that, that is the most exciting part. So I look forward to that. And I hope people do reach out and, and, and tell us where it worked, how it worked, what didn't work, what modifications they did. We would love to hear all those things. Great. Well, I will definitely ask for that. Um, and uh, when we when we roll this out in our our newsletter, the podcast in our newsletter, we can also ask for that uh, to come back to you. That would be great, Teresa. Thanks a lot. Okay. Well, it's been lovely meeting you, and um, I wish you lots of success. Likewise. Thanks a lot. Good luck to you. And I really appreciate you uh, you having me over and having this conversation. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this Meet the Expert episode of the Change Management Review podcast with Teresa Moulton, Editor-in-Chief of the Change Management Review, and Samir Hasija. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and like us on LinkedIn.